0: And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. We're back with Heather Shoemaker and Dr. Laura talking about adult emotions. Uh, Dr. Laura, the last episode we wrapped up with uh, me begging for another tool that we could share with our listeners, listeners mm. from the book. Before we get into that, though, tell them where to find
1: you and find the book on the interwebs. Okay. Well, you can find the book on Amazon or at your local bookstore or library. If they don't have it, please ask them to order it, and and you can uh, find it there. And also, you can find me at AHA, like aha, uh, like aha moments,
2: uh-huh.
1: ahaparenting.com, and the book is also for sale at AHA Parenting. And you can find my newsletter, which reaches, I think, 130,000 people now uh, on a weekly basis, which means people like it, uh, and it gives you the tools to handle these stressful moments with your child. So in each newsletter, I look at something that's a question from a reader about how do we calm down in that moment? How do you handle it when your child lies to you? How do you handle it when they scream, I hate you? Whatever it is in that newsletter. So parents can also subscribe to that to give themselves a little inspiration on a weekly basis. And that sounds like a useful right. tool because Keep this is... going.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I just wanted to mention the title of her book again. It's called Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids Workbook. Is the one that's just brand new to come out to help you get um, into that calm and collected place.
1: Mm, Yes, and you asked for tools. Yeah, give us another one. We talked about stop, drop, and breathe, using your pause button in the last episode, which people can go back and listen to if they missed it. But I guess today I'd love to talk about how to change your mind. (laughs) which means, you know, our minds, our thoughts create our emotions. The way we, if you see a stick on the path, before you realize it's a stick, you think it's a snake, all of a sudden you're feeling fear. Then when you realize it's a stick, you don't feel fear anymore. So we perceive our world in certain ways, and we then receive, you know, that that tells us, oh, uh, this is what's happening here, and we get an emotion that triggers us to respond to it. So, if the emotion is fear, it says, "Get yourself to a safe place." If the emotion is anger, it might be saying to us, "You need to do something." Being in this situation, uh, somewhat, you know, maybe you're feeling that it's a situation that's not good for you somehow, and so you respond with anger to protect yourself. Usually, of course, you can't change the other people in the situation. You mm-hmm. can only change you, and often that's the secret message of the anger. So that's, that's a way to think about our emotions. And if thoughts are actually shaping our emotions, our thoughts and belief systems, then it really helps in any given situation to notice what we're thinking. So if you're thinking that your child is bullying his little sister and he's a terrible person who's just, he's, he's not only unkind, he's actually cruel, There must be something wrong with him. All of a sudden, you have a whole set of thoughts and judgments about your own child that are going to get in the way of you responding in a constructive way to his behavior. If instead, you step back and you said, okay, he obviously can't hurt his sister, but something's going on here. What is my, you know, what, what could be happening here? And you got curious about it. You might find out that someone is bullying him at school. You might find out that he really feels like you always take her side in arguments and you never understand. And so he really has to fight to even be noticed. Maybe she's actually really needling him when you're not around. There could be any number of things going on that would, if you knew them, change your view of the situation so I call that reframing. It's one way to change your mind, and it actually changes your feelings about what's going on. And it can be pretty instantaneous, or it could take you, you know, a week to work through some feeling and, you know, shift your views about a big thing that's going on. But it's, it's a very helpful tool to change your mind. And if you want a tool in the moment to change your mind, a mantra. A mantra can be really helpful. And I don't mean, you know, oh, while you're driving your car. I just mean to remind yourself of something that will calm you down. So when I was, when I was, um, my daughter is now 22, but when she was little, I would always say, it's not an emergency. We'll figure it out. And now, if we're late somewhere and I'm saying, oh my goodness, we're going to be late, she'll say, mom, it's not an emergency. We'll figure it out. And it's just so wonderful that that using that little mantra to, to serve me, not to serve her, but her whole life, she's imbibed that, and it's just part of who she is. And we can all find something that works for us. I've heard, you know, only love today. I've heard they're acting like kids because they are kids. I've heard kids need love most when they deserve at least, they're, you know, find one that works for you and, in fact, write them down on stickies and put them around and experiment with different ones to see what works for you when you're upset because that can be an instant, instantaneous change in your view of the situation and, therefore, your feelings.
0: Yeah, just, uh, so so uh, someday they're going to grow up and move away. What, might that be a good one?
1: <laughs> 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 I want to say that one aloud. Um, yeah. Because it will come back to haunt you when she, when your kid is twenty-two.
2: Yeah, that's but true. I
1: do think I do think a larger perspective is really useful. You know, I'm going to laugh about this next week, or you know what? She won't be six forever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whatever it is, is I think I'm those are right actually useful. It. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because that we that get uh, we when get. When
2: my s- my child was uh, one years old, it actually seemed like seven years. That that one year was very 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 long. <laughs> I kept he won't be one forever, but it seemed like time played a trick and it, it extended. You know, this whole topic, too, um, brings up that often, you know, you find it's easier to deal with the emotions of somebody else's kid when it's not your kid. And that's partly because we have all these judgments or things that we carry on and we might have framed, uh, you know, you're talking about reframing, but we may have framed our thoughts in a certain way that, oh, Um, she's not kind or, oh, she's lazy or, oh, she's whatever it is. But when we're working with another child, so when we see that, then we we see it everywhere. We work with somebody else's kid. We think, oh, here's a six-year-old who wanted another cookie and isn't getting it. We just, we don't read into it as much. We don't have all that extra baggage. And so if you look at your own child sometimes and pretend it's the neighbor's kid.
1: (laughs) I love that. I think that's a great idea.
2: It brings that distance and objectivity that really is what keeps, you know, it can be easier to teach your own kids in a a preschool classroom, but then you go home and you blow up at your own. So it's it's partly because you're tired end of the day, but it's also because they're your own and you have these, um, sometimes you think you know them best, but sometimes maybe having that distance actually helps um, you see them, who they truly are.
1: Yes, that is so true. And it's also an important point that we bring our own triggers into every situation, but we're more likely to be triggered by our child because it's not a reflection on us when the neighbor's six-year-old wants another cookie and can't handle being told no. When our six-year-old does it, it's a reflection on us. So that's a trigger that many of us carry as parents, that feeling that we weren't good enough to raise a child who could hear no to the cookie and handle it not have a a meltdown you know healthy
0: way hey dr laura i got a question um Mm -hmm. you've been talking about stuff like mantras and breathing and and being mindful all those kind of things and they all sound kind of foo-foo kind of eh, out there but there's there's actual science that supports doing these
1: things isn't there I'm so glad you asked that. Yes, it turns out there is actual science and everything I do is research-based. So, for instance, we know from scientists that being grateful, gratefulness and gratitude practices Mm -hmm. makes you happier. But it turns out that all positive feelings that you savor make you happier. So when you focus on the positive... You know, when you're looking at your child and, yes, she just tracked mud into the house and you're ready to scream at her. And you're, if you focus on the negative of, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do with this child? Suddenly, your whole body starts to feel like, again, it's an emergency. But if you focus on the larger context, which is, well, she's not perfect, <laughs> but she's much more than the fact that she just tracked mud into the house. She's kind to her brother. She works hard in school. Her teachers love her. She Mm -hmm. sings as she walks around the house. She's adorable. I adore her. When you focus there, you start to feel better. And science shows that you bring, you A, your happiness, your health improve, but also your tone of voice completely changes. When you go over to her and you say, sweetheart, look at the mud. Now, if you had done it in, that was a loving tone of voice, right? If you had said, oh my goodness, look at this mud! What am I going to do with you? Her reaction would not be, oh, I want to help clean up this mud. Her reaction would be, I just wanted to show you this flower you Mm -hmm. never understand. You don't appreciate me. She would not be feeling like, the mud was a problem she, or apologetic about it. She would feel like she'd been attacked, which, by the way, she had. Mm-hmm. Not without reason. The mud is a problem, but she would have felt attacked. Whereas notice that because you focused on the positive and you tried to pull back and have a little context, it allowed you to actually have love in your voice and humor when you go over to talk to her. And notice you're not shouting across the room. You actually went over. And at that point, what's her reaction? When you say it in that loving way, it's like, oh, oops, oh, mom, I didn't mean to, I'm so sorry. Oh, okay, I just wanted to show you this flower. And then you admire the flower and you say, okay, we always clean up our own messes. I know you didn't do this on purpose. What can we do to clean this up? I mean, depending on how old she is, you'll be grabbing the sponge and tossing her to her and grabbing the paper towels or whatever. So notice that the science supports what common sense might tell us all along if we just put ourselves in our child's shoes.
2: You know, one thing when you're telling that story about the mud on the floor, it just it reminds me. Every time a child brings us a big emotion, I like to think of it as an opportunity. Here's our opportunity <laughs> to be useful. Here's our opportunity to teach her how to use the broom. <laughs> Here's our opportunity. Oh, look, oh, opportunity just walked in the door. Here's an opportunity to help a child who's screaming learn how to handle anger. You know, Mm -hmm. every time there's a big emotion, it's our chance to be useful. And, of course, we may not really uh, be joyful at every single opportunity that comes (laughs) our way. But if we can think of these as opportunities, that's what we're here for. I mean, sure, we're here to give them food and and shelter and clothes. But if we can help guide them to gain um, emotional competence, that's really our, our, our number one purpose to be parents and teachers for kids. So every time they bring us a feeling or a behavior we don't like, it's our opportunity to shine and guide them further down the path.
1: Yes. And, you know, sometimes parents will say to me, it sounds like this kind of parenting is really time-consuming. I just don't have time for that. (laughs) And I think, okay, I totally get that. We're all overextended. I understand. But really, this might be the most Well, the, this might be the most important thing you do all day. And, it, and yes, it's long-term, who she turns out to be long-term, but even short-term, it will make your child happier, healthier, more emotionally healthy, and easier to live with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which helps
2: all those future days stretching out mm-hmm.
1: you. Yes, yes, when, when some of those years, when, when the age of 11 or 12 begins to seem like it will go on forever. That's right. It's it actually makes it a, better. Well, and the, it's the flip- also
2: a guard for how you, your grandchildren will be raised, because if a child likes the way he's been raised or she's been raised, then they're likely to repeat that, and so you're, you know, you'll you have a much more pleasant time with the future generations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Well, and, you know, often parents ask me, but, you know, I love my child. I do anything for my child. But my parents were yellers, and it wasn't a good situation. There was a lot of conflict in our home. And I find those words coming out of my mouth. How can I break that cycle? And that was another reason that I wrote the workbook, is for parents in that situation, this gives them the tools to dig deeper into themselves and to actually change their brains. And you, know, you asked about the science. We are now learning that the brain will respond to any repeated situation mm-hmm. by changing To be better at that situation. If you play more tennis, the brain will get better at playing tennis. Well, in fact, if you change what you're doing when you interact with your child, you will find that your brain will change and you won't. You will be able to stop yelling in mid yell, and then you'll be able to notice before you even start yelling, and then you'll be able to notice as you're well, I call it gathering kindling for a bonfire when you're gathering resentment through your day and saying, oh, that child, this or that. So we can change our own brains so that, as you said, to to raise the grandchildren you want so that we can give our children the childhood that we didn't necessarily have and we really are then breaking the cycle in that generation so that our grandchildren don't have to carry that baggage.
2: Right. And you know, it it works. It spreads around to... Um, neighbors and school parents and so on because when they see you out parenting that way in public they they're watching and they begin to pick up some of those tips and phrases that work well and then yes. they start to incorporate it and it, it just spreads in in a good way all around so um, you know try it out at home first for people who aren't so familiar with some of these things but then have your courage and do it out in public and you'll be helping not just your own child but the families around you
1: mm, so true
0: and before we wrap up, can I throw one more thing in here? When you're when you're trying when you when you try these uh, these methods, as as you as you implement them, as you do them more, those those neural pathways form, and, and it gets easier to do them. And you're still going to have a bad day, or there's going to be a situation that sets you off, and you you turn into the parent you were six months ago instead of the new parent you're trying to be. Um, and in those situations, a lot of time, I think people really beat themselves up and mm. and maybe we need to be a little bit kinder with ourselves in those situations and, and take that breath and give ourselves permission to have that bad day once in a while and then get back on track with the way we were doing things before.
1: I'm so glad that you're, that you bring that up because I think that so many parents, that's where they are. And I just would encourage any parent listening to this that, of course, it's two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. That's, that's the truth when you're learning any new set of skills. And this is the hardest thing you'll ever do because it's about, it's about managing yourself and all your old stuff. So two steps forward, one step back still gets you where you're going. It just takes a little longer. And beating yourself up never helps. It's like with your child. Your child is going to do better when they feel better when you give them more support. So I would ask parents to think about what could I do to give myself more support so I have more inner resources and outer resources in that next tough situation so I can make a better choice.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's that self-care, of course, is usually on the bottom of the list for parents, but that can help um, keep them on track to, to do this work because it is work that will last um, the entire life of both parents you, the adult, and the child. So it's, it's good work to be doing.
1: Yes, and I, parents often will say, someone listening might be saying to themselves, I don't have time for self-care. I have a baby who's up all night. I have a toddler. I hear them. And I would say, that's why I went to parents when I was writing this book, and I said, what do you do to take care of yourself emotionally, physically, mentally, and shift your mood even, when you're with your kids? And you can't be somewhere else. You're with your kids. And they gave me such wonderful ideas. So there's a whole spread in the book with their ideas about how to do that, that kind of self-care. Excellent, excellent.
2: Well, Good. Can you tell us again where to find you and um, so people can get started?
1: Okay. Well, you can find me online at ahaparenting.com, like those aha moments, A-H-A, parenting.com. And the book, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids Workbook, is available on my website. It's also available on Amazon uh, at your local bookstore or library. Excellent. Right. Thank you, Dr. Laura. And, hey, listeners, this
0: episode's over. We're not going to be back with another one for a week. So uh, you got no excuse but to go over and uh, check out the website and, uh, and click around and order a book and subscribe to the newsletter. So uh, so uh, get on that. Um, anything else before we wrap up?
1: I, no, uh, I I'm fair- final words <laughs> here. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I, I would just um, say that you don't have to be perfect. You know, in lines with what you just said about compassion for ourselves, you don't have to be perfect. There's never been a perfect parent. All children need from you is someone who recovers, apologizes, and really tries to model the kind of emotional generosity that you'd like to see from your child you won't you don't have to be perfect you just try your best to be a gracious human being in the in the face of the inevitable onslaught of of stress that that comes into all of our lives and you will see that that kind of modeling has a profound impact on your child
0: for the better hey there's the cherry on the podcast cake listeners this has been renegade rules back soon with another episode thanks for listening bye bye
2: thanks so much bye bye
0: bye bye Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Schumacher. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.
1: Oh.